Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury, a regular guest and co-host of this show. She teaches uh, practical theology and youth ministry for the School of Theology and Ministry here at Indiana Wesleyan University as well. She's a sought-after speaker, author of three books and many articles and all kinds of interesting stuff that's out there, including being my wife and the mother of our three children, and so it's always a delight to have her on the show. Our text this week is Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so that they may benefit as well. And there's also a link in the show notes uh, to give you an opportunity to support the show uh, in various ways, so financially and otherwise. So, uh, yeah, thanks uh, for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. Take a look at Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. Amanda, will you read the passage for us? I will. All right. Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. 
Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, the word by which you called all things into being, and the word by which you unveiled to Joseph things that were to come. And these words that have preserved the memory of this uh, this event and this moment within the story of Jacob's sons. And we pray that even now the word of God would be moving as it is always living and active. We pray that your word would be moving uh, between Amanda and I and between and among all who are listening in, separated by time and space, that they would sense a movement of the word in them they might receive it in faith and bear it on behalf of others. We pray this all in the name of your incarnate Son, the very Word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, what's striking you today? What's uh, what's capturing your attention in this uh, familiar passage? Familiar for you, at least, I know, and for many. Yeah, well, I'm struck by the thought that you could just read the story and and be edified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you almost don't have to preach a sermon. The story is so rich. There's so much building up to this story that if, if you've been following along the Joseph story, you can almost just read it and then sit down. Yeah, so, I mean, that's not irrelevant. I mean, in our series this summer, there's just two short selections from the story of Jacob's sons. Just right at the beginning, chapter 37, mm-hmm. and then jumping straight here. So, I mean, it's if we want to fill in any of those gaps in our conversation today, that would be totally fine. You're not going to be, a, you're not stepping on somebody else's sermon is what I'm, <laughs> or episode is what I'm trying to say. But mm-hmm. yeah, so what was building to this? What, what in particular was capturing you today that links back or that calls back to something in particular? I mean, you seem, if you bothered to say that, I wonder if something captured you today. What's capturing my attention is almost the horror that perhaps came over his brothers here. I mean, thinking back to, to the things that they have done to him. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, throwing him down a well, selling him to, uh, off as a slave to Egypt, telling his father that he's dead. Like, these are, these are horrible brothers. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 if we never heard from Joseph again, <laughs> then, then, I mean, their reputation would be solidified there as, as, as hor- just horrible brothers, horrible people. And so then in, in verse five, well, let's see here. Let me, let me catch, catch some of these words here. So the brothers, they can't answer him. They're terrified. He says, come close to me. So apparently they're away. Uh, he says, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves. So clearly they're having some reaction, even though, even though this is a big, uh, monologue from, from Joseph, you can almost picture the, the faces of his brothers as all this is going on. 
Yeah, the end of verse three, you had a was it terrified? Yes, because they were terrified mine at his little, presence. Mine was a little softer, and I just want to check the ridge if that's okay. You go the ridge. ahead. The ridge. Yeah, nib halu. I just didn't recognize that word. Want to double check it? Yeah, dismayed, troubled, disturbed, hmm. uh, worked up. Yeah, it's in the Psalms a lot. Huh. Clearly agitated. Yeah, agitated's nice. Because you can also use it for just someone who's rushing or hurrying. That was my that was my like thirty second word study. But I mean, so it's not like just you know straight terrified, but definitely you know shook up. Yeah. Uh, troubled. I like disturbed. That would I, I feel too. like that captures the the weight of it. Um. It, yeah, it covers a lot. And uh, you look at verse 12, where he says, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it's really I who am speaking to you. He already told them that it's him. Uh, he already said, you know, I'm your brother, already already made his big reveal. But then 12 verses later, he's still trying to convince them that he's that he's Joseph. Yeah. So so you can see the dismay, the disturbance. Um but but probably some disbelief in there or shock or or he saw something that's prompting him to say, hey, look, it's it's really me. It really, really is me. <laughs> Sounds like me talking to you, like where I say something and I'm like still making the same <laughs> point over and again. Like, you want to make sure I understood it. Yeah, <laughs> obsessed with like, are you tracking me? Because you do feel a little, even a little anxiety in his words. You know, I, I usually don't think of it that way, but really wanting hmm. them to be convinced that he's not going to visit them with vengeance, because that would just be assumed, I think, on their part. And and even the, even the strong statements of, was it you who sent me here, but God? Hmm. I mean, I think, I think he has come through his suffering to believe that. But to just take that as a straightforward statement of faith on his part, and not also a rhetorical maneuver to convince his brothers like yeah, I, yeah. like the, it's it's like something could be true but why did you say it you said it because you think it needed said right as if to say like i don't blame you anymore you know yeah yeah um i wonder if joseph was afraid that his brothers would reject him again oh you know yeah. i i always i always mm. read this story as the big reveal and this happy reunion but but i wonder if there was any anxiety in joseph in terms of boy yeah. i'm going to put myself out there are they just going to turn around and walk away again you know they could keep my father from seeing me because uh, mm-hmm. because he, he's their younger brother and yeah, when you're with your older you're always a younger brother when you're with your older brothers yeah still seeking that acceptance that you could tell he was you know Failing, but attempting to achieve with his little stories. You know, hey, I had this dream. <laughs> I think that's a good insight, Mandy. It hadn't occurred to me until you said it, that there may be a little more anxiety on his side than we perhaps are used to to noticing. Well, and you look at how many times he tells them to bring back his father. See, mm-hmm. He's got that a lot. So let me see here. Uh, verse 9, hurry back to my father. Uh, you're going to live in Goshen. Where is it? A few other places. 13, tell my father. Yeah, so like, as he given up on the, you know, so he tricked them to get Benjamin down. Of course, mm-hmm. reason to believe up to that point that there's also some character testing. Maybe he's not sure. You know, maybe he really at first was just trying to sneak Benjamin out of the house. 
thinking that he's in danger. Or maybe, yeah, maybe he was wondering if Benjamin had already been sold off. Yeah. You know? I mean, he has had a lot of time in prison to think of all the possible horrible things that have happened to his brother. Yeah. So why he doesn't find a way to trick them to bring his dad down and then do the reveal, you Mm -hmm. know, which would Mm -hmm. be plausible. And there's even some sense of the way that it's narrated. I mean, if you try to kind of like forget what we might know and only know what the narrator knows and then think that the characters only know what the narrator tells us they know, right? Right. So there is a moment at the end of 45 into 40, end of 44 into 45 where, you know, he's kind of setting up to keep Benjamin and send them back and all that. And when he sends everybody out and is overcome, with emotion and he's crying loudly and you get the impression that it's, it's not, that wasn't a part of the plan. Yeah. 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 And you know, I I do wonder if, if he was, if he had more steps left in his scheme Hmm. that he at this point abandons Hmm. and just cuts Hmm. to straight to the chase. Although the whole shtick about sticks, the wrong word, the whole, whole bit about Goshen probably didn't register. Like he's kind of jumping two steps ahead. Yeah, like they're yeah, kind of, yeah. oh, you're alive. What? And yeah. Something, something, something Goshen. I don't know. <laughs> he's going to have to walk him through that again. Right. right. Clearly he's got, he's got a plan though. And he's, he's trying to reassure them. It's really me. I'm not mad at you. And I've got a spot for you. That's what I was thinking of when you and I talking like, cause I'm an introvert, but talkative. So I've worked out this whole little plan in my head. Right? <laughs> and so I'm like, Going on and on and on, and you're still like you're providing my objections for me, yes, and then explaining them. <laughs> but like you're still processing the the opening line, right, right, right. That I'm reiterating and adding additional information <laughs> to, and it's like I'm probably gonna have to come back to that. It's probably good that his father wasn't there. I mean, he's old. Who knows how he would handle that shock in that huh. particular place? Huh? Yeah. No, that's a good insight. I mean, he he seemed to predict that he would, you know, if if they were to. Come back without Benjamin, he would just die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I wonder why the father didn't go with them anyway. If he was so concerned about Benjamin. Well, of course, he didn't let him. They had to go beg him. Mm-hmm. He said no. Mm-hmm. And then they started starving. I mean, I assume you don't want to travel. An old man traveling during a famine seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Why do you think all the, all the sons went in the first place? Why not just send That's three or four question. to Egypt? That's a good question. Maybe so they could all carry stuff back. I guess. Well, they would have a lot of servants and things. I don't know. Make a show. That's a good question. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a, like a, some sort of like cultural insight into why that would be the case. But I mean, you get the impression that these dudes travel together and, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, we've seen them together yeah, yeah. earlier good on point. where they're just, they're all together out in the fields and he, so, I mean, it, it might have been that Jacob just sent one of them and they all just tagged along. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, you know, I just, I don't know. <laughs> Road trip. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Like, I mean, I know that's a little silly, but yeah. No, I think that's a good, that's a good insight. I think, I mean, there's so much. I, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes and how hard it would be that the big reveal, I, I, I'm getting stuck on this and tell me if it's uninteresting to you, but. So I said how like the Goshen thing might not register. He's going to have to re-explain that. But also the stuff about how five more years of fam- it's almost good that there's there's eleven of them there because they're all going to pick up different things. <laughs> yeah, because I can yeah. totally see them on the way back, like Levi being like, "Did you catch that? 
he said there's going to be five years. How does he know that? And then, you know, Asher, you know, jumping in and saying, well, remember his dreams and how we're going to bow down? Like, oh, right, right. Like, let's kind of like <laughs> they piecing might, the story together, yeah. all of them. There's this great line actually in 24 outside the boundaries of our of our passage. <gasps> where it says then he sent his brothers away and as they departed he said to them do not quarrel along the way Mm. (laughs) you know kind of has their number that's good but it fits a picture there is a there's a there's a decent length journey back to palestine here yeah and oh my you know that would be a uh, that'd be a great fly on the wall moment oh a, I'm already cooking a sermon around <laughs> that, right? Where you yeah, kind of yeah. pick it up entirely from there. Sure. Kind of have each brother share a piece of the story. Yeah, yeah. And 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 what a what a long walk back too to think. How are we going to tell our father that we sold him into slavery? You know, Joseph has worked through the oh, anger gosh, of that. Yes. But this is going to be this is going to be new news for his father. I don't think they tell him. You don't think. Oh, well, I'm going to go look (laughs) on the break. (laughs) I'm going to go look and see if it ever is revealed. But I mean, I'm just just trying to obey good narrative hermeneutics, kind of. If it doesn't say they told him, you know. So we know that they told him that that, um, he was dead, that a wild animal must have have eaten him because of the clothes with the blood. Yeah, they didn't say they saw it happen. They just... Oh man, there's no. I mean, but that's the debate. There, I mean, there you go. Maybe right? that's on the, the quarrel way on the way. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't fight over whether to. He's old. He doesn't need to know. Just tell him that his son's alive. <laughs> you can see that logic. I... That's what you do. That's the side I'd be on. I mean, at least at the beginning of the conversation. Well, I'd be torn. I'd be torn. I would. I would be saying that because I've got this little. Inside hunch that's like, oh, always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. And it's like, <laughs> but that's not a. I mean. That's a big thing to understand in the ancient world, like the just the notions of, you know, what should like, the notion of like impertinence is always worse than dishonesty. Yeah. In the ancient, yeah. In, and even in high context cultures now, two thirds world cultures now, even there's a recognition of like impertinence is a much greater sin than, hmm. you know, that's a kind of that's a slightly more kind of modern Western obsession with like, you know, Basically thinking that like the phrase, oh, I'm just being honest. Like, oh, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's, I think a peculiar, somewhat a peculiarity of our culture of the kind of like, that somehow like just rude honesty somehow covers over. Authenticity. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't want to camp on that, but I'm just saying. Well, I, I, I want to work ahead here to the, you, you, you brought us to 24, so I'm just going to push us further. <gasps> so... As they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. Mm -hmm. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Mm -hmm. Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Isn't that interesting, that shift from Jacob to Israel? Once he finally, uh, he believes it, he gets it, and now he's referred to as Israel. Huh. Huh. Ooh. Ooh. The spirit of their father Jacob revived. Yeah, kind of going back and forth of these two identities. Huh. 
Yeah, this idea that he, I mean, it's a funny phrase in verse 26. His heart became numb. I think it's like, I, I wonder, I mean, I'd have to spend a lot more time to know for certain, but it, it looks like, I'm going to take a glance real quick while we talk. Where was that? Verse 26. Verse, wait, are you talking about his spirit revived? No, the first, when it first says what goes wrong. Oh, Jacob was stunned. Yeah. Okay. His heart stood still is the huh. kind of. Huh. Now, of course, heart could be, you know, thoughts, my, you know, I, it looks like a stroke to me, just mm. like the way that it's described. I, I huh. have to research the phrase because this could be a stock phrase for he turned white or something. Sure. You know, I, I don't know. You know, we say someone, their face went white. You know, yeah. It's not exactly. Or heart not, skipped a beat. Do you know that feeling that that palpitation yeah. almost? Well, the you say, you know that feeling, but like, it, it is a, it, it's a metaphor. It yeah. didn't actually skip a beat, right? So like, but we know what we mean when we say mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And, and these people would have known what his heart stood still. They would know what that meant. Yeah. It's going to be a stock phrase. That's why I'd have to do a little more research to be able to speak confidently. But if you can just think of what are the kinds of things that like happen to old people when they get weird news, right? <laughs> kind of, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of a stunned, like, I East mean. Eden, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I wonder if one of the reasons why Joseph gave them so many bits of information that they probably didn't need then was to be communicated to his father so his father would believe. Because at first he doesn't believe them. You know, yeah. your son's alive. But after after he hears the things that, that Joseph has said. Yeah. And saw the carts. And saw the carts. Yeah, that, that actually comes back. That really comes full circle to the, the stuff I was asking. Like, why all this detail about mm-hmm. Goshen? Mm-hmm. And about how many more years of famine it'll be, you know, because it's like this last year of famine. It's like, oh, I, I can't wait to see my son. I'll go see him next year. Or maybe he'll come visit me. And it's like, no, it's like, we're just getting started in this crazy famine. And I'm running everything in Egypt. I can't come visit yeah, you. Like, yeah. I mean, he, he, Joseph's clearly is busy. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I always felt nervous when I, when I read this, um, not nervous is the wrong word. Uh, if I were Joseph, I would have been really anxious to watch them go because what if they didn't come back or what if they were yeah. attacked and killed along the way? Like this is his one chance and he's, he's relying on his brothers to fulfill <laughs> this hope of his, you know, why not just at, have, at least he doesn't have a good reason to trust. Yeah. Yeah. At least say. hold back Benjamin and a few of them. So he can still hold on to some of his family, at least in case something were to happen to the other ones. Hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Let's take a quick break and come back and uh, and dig in some more, do some interpreting of some of the, the questions that we've raised. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury. And we are looking at Genesis chapter 45 verses 1 through 15, and of course, the surrounding context. And we did some initial observations, and now we're going to roll up our sleeves and get into some interpretive questions. What uh, what questions or hypotheses or insights are you moving in the direction of right now? That was weirdly framed. I'm sorry about <laughs> <laughs> Just starting up at the top. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And uh, we, we mentioned this when we were talking a bit ago, but did he have a different plan in mind? Uh, you know, what, 
what made him skip plan A and go with plan B. If this is if this is a plan B. You know, he's trying to control himself. I don't know, maybe that was part of the plan all along. Well, it seems part of the I mean the 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 detail about Goshen and all that later seemed to indicate that this might have been his end game. Mm-hmm. But it does seem a surprise in the particular moment, right? Yeah. Well, I guess we can just ask context-wise. I mean, what what is the immediately preceding event? And it's Judah, yeah. It's Judah's yes, yeah, yeah. Speech, mm-hmm. which it's. I mean, you've heard me complain about the chapter breaks and their mm-hmm. occasional cause. I mean, we need them for citation, right? But <laughs> some editions of the Bible will have the chapter and verse numbers kind of off on the columns. On the side, just for reference, not kind of interfering with the text itself, which mm-hmm. is helpful here because it's just flowing one scene um, for Judah kind of to kind of offer himself in place in Benjamin's place, right? Yeah, and even tells the story of of his, their brother and and interesting, they don't. Judah never lies to Joseph. When he reports about his brother who went away and was surely torn to pieces, he's saying it as that's what his father said. Right. Now, right. Uh, sure, there's some deception here, but um, he's just just reporting reporting the facts. <laughs> yeah, the way the conversation went, and he's careful how he talks about it. He doesn't just say my brother was was torn to pieces. He's mm, he, he dances around it a bit. That is clever. You'll bring my gray hairs down into Sheol. I mean. I mean, there could be even just a recognition on Joseph's part that his little schemes might be causing his father more suffering than he was intending. Mm, mm, sure. He want because he, he kind of wants his brothers to squirm a little. Yeah, yeah. A lot, in fact. Well, well, and you know what? This is the first time that Joseph is hearing that his father thinks he was torn to pieces. Oh, is it? Yeah, because Joseph doesn't know what his father knows. Right. You know, maybe his yeah. father's been searching for him this whole time. So, so Joseph is suddenly learning. My mm. father thought I was dead. That's good. That's good. Boy, yeah. No, I, th- I think there's a lot more going on in his dynamic with his father than I think I've than I think I've seen before. Hmm. Um, his worry there. So here's an, here's an interpretive question. I, w- can we come back to that one or sure. let it rest for yeah. a moment? All right. So, verse five of our passage. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve a remnant on earth to keep alive. For you, many survivors. 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but Mm -hmm. God. And even verse 9. You know, tell my father... God has made me Lord of all Egypt. And it suddenly occurs to me that there's been, I mean, I'm, I'm going to check real quick this claim before I make it. No, I'll make it and then we'll see. Yeah. But there's been basically almost no mention of God in the entire narrative since chapter 37. Huh. Like. Well, let's see here. The, the, the dreams. Does he refer to God in the dreams? If God helps me. This is part of what I'm getting at. Yeah, is there's yeah. just not a lot of God talk in the Joseph story. And and that makes this all the more striking. At the very yeah. least, God doesn't show up as a character in the story ever. 
which is in stark contrast to Jacob, you know, who has these two plus, he has a couple extra small, you know, smaller ones, but, you know, two, three, four encounters with God. And of course, Abraham has all these, these important encounters with the mm-hmm. angel of the Lord mm-hmm. represent, you know, and now we get to this generation and we, we actually have very little God talk on their lips. Sure. And then, you know, go ahead. There's chapter, one, chapter 39. Four, chapter 41, mm-hmm. we've got a few different places. Uh, so verse 16, you know, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh. And then skip ahead, 25, God is revealed to Pharaoh. Uh, 28, it is just as I said, God has shown Pharaoh. So all on Joseph's lips. All on Joseph's lips. Right. The reason the dream is, okay, so verse 32 again. Has been decided by God, and God will do it soon. Mm-hmm. So lots of God talking. Forty-one, and, Ph- and Pharaoh says it too. Then mm-hmm. thirty-eight. So Pharaoh asked them, "Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God?" Yep. Since God has made nice. all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and the wise as you. The spirit of the gods. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I wonder. I, I wonder if this is Joseph. Um, you know, glorifying God, saying God can do it, or, or hiding behind God, <laughs> just in case it Maybe doesn't. a bit of both. So, I mean, there's some in 39. So, 39 verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, hmm. and he became a successful man and was in the house of his, his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. The Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So, and then, and then some more references there. And then later down, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Interestingly, both of these references on behalf of the narrator, though, in 39 are, hey, look, things went well with him. Must be God working. Hmm. Right? It's not the Lord appeared to Joseph. The Lord said to Joseph, none of that. Zero. I can't find a single reference in the Joseph story up to Hmm. this point. Of God appearing or speaking. Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. significant change. It might not seem strange to us. Huh. To us, we say, well, this is always how we think of <laughs> how God works is, you know, through, you know, through a dream or through inferring from blessing or, mm-hmm. or, or his act of interpreting these evil acts of his brothers as the actions of God. This may be part of why we love the Joseph cycles because it's a little bit more indirect divine revelation. Hmm. But it actually stands out in the story of Genesis so far for for whom the main characters are like having like visions and encounters with God who's speaking to them and directing in poetic lined uh, Hebrew uh, poems, speaking to him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Is this making sense? Yeah, I see that. Harping on this, I'm not talking about how many times the word Adonai or Elohim appear in the story, although it's that's also less than typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's more that when it does show up, it's again either the narrator commenting on the secret, the the the, the mysterious cause of the good things in his life, or in this case, then Joseph interpreting the events of his life. Is this making sense? Which then makes me want to say, okay, well, why is, I mean, Joseph isn't the good guy. He's just the character that we're following. Mm -hmm. So let's not assume that his take is right. Mm Because that's the interpretive question that's been bugging me with this passage (laughs) is, was it God sending 
wasn't it them doing it? <laughs> was this, is this just, he, he, he sounds like that person who something really bad happens and they see like some upside and say, oh, it was God's will. Yeah. Well, and uh-huh. is he right? <laughs> well, I think there's a, a, a pastoral care implication in here, whether he's right or not. And that's, this is not something you say about other people. If these are words that are going to be said, then you've got to be the one saying them. So, in other words, if this is true, it would become false on the lips of Judah or right, Reuben. Right, <laughs> right. Or, or if this were false, uh, he doesn't need anyone to correct correct him on that. You know, if you've got a parishioner in front of you that's saying, you're going through this horrible time, but God is, well, I'm not going to dis- disabuse them of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe that's... Um, I've seen that before. It's I've taken away it. a crutch, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it in, uh, you know, the, the pastor before they go to seminary, like telling people, you know, that God's, that this is actually good because God's working in it. Then they go to seminary and then they have the opposite (laughs) problem, which is they won't let other people say that. It's like, hey man, because coming to that conclusion at the end of your own suffering or in the midst of it is very, very different. Yeah. Oh, and in both of those cases, both the pre and post seminary, you're still in the position of thinking that God needs a defense lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So Joseph here is the interpreter of his own suffering. And that adds a legitimacy to the, the moment, but it, it does raise the question and maybe we can come back to this in the third section homiletically, but how do you preach on this text in a way that doesn't just too quickly lift Joseph up to say, this is what you're supposed to say. Hmm. Hmm. Right? Yeah. This is how you're supposed to treat your abusers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as, as if it's just a given that, that he's the moral yeah. okay. object okay. of, of, and, and I always like problematizing any notion that we know who the good guy is in right. the story that right. we're supposed to model our life after. And I'm like, I'm not convinced we're supposed to model our life after any of these people. Yeah. And Joseph in particular is a, I mean, in fact, if this is right, if this is true, uh-huh. if what if his interpretation, I'm not saying is the Bible true, is Joseph, a human being who's being narrated here, if his interpretation of these events is the right one, mm-hmm. which I think the narrator is setting us up to see it that way, but we should be careful to not jump to that conclusion. Sure. If his read of this is right, then that also makes this a unique event because the whole point is that they won't die out in the famine. Right. In God's full awareness that they're going to then become enslaved in this place. More suffering will yeah. be to come, yeah, yeah. which will then be the opportunity for God to show off in front of Egypt yeah. as he brings them out. So, like, a lot of suffering is also going to be instituted by this turn in the story. Yeah, well, it makes you wonder, okay, maybe maybe this was always part of God's plan for, for Joseph to somehow save the Israelites through something, something in Egypt. Maybe had he not been so, been sold that would have just played out more more smoothly or or with uh, a lot more peace. Hmm. Oh, I think it's important to note that uh, you mentioned the 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 leeriness of saying this type of thing to abusers or to make people think that's where they should be headed. This is when he is out of the pit and he's in power. Ah. You know, he's not saying that yeah. in the prison. He's not saying that in the middle of his story. 
you know, he's not saying this is good that this happened. You know, God sent me here for this. And and I, I think part of the problem is, is when people try to say Joseph's words too soon. Yeah, because this is how long again he's... Oh, we did the yeah. What we was did that? the math. We did. Uh huh. It's wasn't it twenty, thirty years? We did do that once, didn't we? When we were reading through this with the kids, it says it later. I don't think I'm going to find it fast enough. We did do that, one. but it's it's. I'm not just randomly bringing it up because it's 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 a, it's a it's a it's relevant to your point. We're dorks. <laughs> what do you mean? We're I mean, dorks? we already figured this out at some point over family dinner. <laughs> You calling a dork? <laughs> yes, we are dorks. <laughs> Aren't we paid to be dorks? <laughs> Isn't that our day job? Yeah, I don't know if I'm able to find it. This is some great radio right now. Well, well, our listeners can do the math themselves and make some amazing discoveries That's themselves. True. I'd like to know where it is because it is later when they list how yeah. old it was. Yeah, yeah. Bummer. But it was long. That's the point. Because, I mean, we know that he was, it was something like two years in that prison. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was in Potiphar's house for a while. Yeah. Prior to that. And he, and they had seven years of of good. Good. Uh And now we're two years in the family. Okay. Yep. So it's like. Two plus two plus seven, right? So, plus however long he was at Potiphar. Right. So, we're talking, right. you know. Um, but it actually does say his exact age when he arrived. He's no spring chicken. Whatever. <laughs> Point is, is we're talking, oh, well over a dozen years. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. yeah. Well over a dozen years. All right. Leave it in. That's good. That's, that's actually good. Let's see. Hear us bumbling around looking for things. Um. So yeah, check our check check our math on that. But we're looking at at least over a dozen years here, um, and that's just, I, I just think that's I think it's really significant that length of time, both for the point you're making, I mean primarily for the point you're making mm-hmm. about the timing. Oh yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Because um, he's had seven years to be thinking this. Yeah, seven years of boy, we've got to gather this this grain to hold us over. And he's maybe even been thinking, what if my family comes looking yeah, for food? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe this, and that's maybe we came this up with this whole plot to sneak, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to sneak there. But I mean, when, you, when you've been through that much trauma, I mean, he's got to be so desperate for a narrative that, I mean, that shows he's not abandoned. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And we need, and maybe he needed about six of those seven years mm-hmm. to six of them were just him plotting his revenge. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. maybe it finally took a turn, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe he was planning on on getting revenge on everybody except for his his dad and Benjamin until he was overcome. <laughs> yeah. Now we may be psychologizing him a bit, and I must be honest, as we saw, as you pointed out back in uh, in chapter um, in chapter thirty nine, in his interactions with uh, oh, excuse me, forty one. You know, he speaks pretty honestly, but there, like you say, it's just kind of a, I mean, he's this kid with this gift to interpret dreams. Mm-hmm. And so, and which he regards as, you know, I mean, I was just reading in a uh, gospel lesson today from John chapter three, a little before John the Baptist says he must increase and I must decrease. He, a couple verses before he says, no one can receive anything 
except if it is given from heaven. Hmm. So that kind of basic sort of prophetic rule of thumb, right? That these are powers that have been given to me, you know? Hmm. And so his God talk there doesn't have to be in his conversation with Pharaoh. I mean, his, his God talk there is in some sense stock language. This is the right way to speak. Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily have to imagine that he had this great struggle Mm -hmm. in the jail. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know. But what we do have in 45 here that I'll, what you said 45 45 <laughs> whoops <laughs> 45 i think i did uh, what we do have here in chapter 45 is a very clear indication that invites a little bit of psychological insight yeah when he is bursts out crying yeah. and and this is why i mentioned yeah. that the, the 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 years over a dozen years matter mm-hmm. because i mean in some sense these tears have been building up you know, for decades, yeah. not just in the latest <laughs> moment, you know. Yeah. Uh, Boy, and how strange for his brothers, to, for him to be, you know, just wailing that there, there's no longer any servants or attendants. It's just them and the second in command who is just weeping and they don't know why. And that'd be a bit unnerving. So how many times did he weep prior to this? I know that he has before, but he kicks everyone out, right? Including them? Or is this the first time oh, he weeps? That's my memory. Yeah. And I'm trying to... Let's see here. Well, I just... I'll pitch that out to our listeners and say, he may have had a, a, a cry before here, but this is the first one yeah, where he Yeah, here we go. The, here it is. Uh, chapter 42, verse 24. He turned away from them and began to weep, but okay. then turned back and spoke to them again. Yeah. So he's had these weeping moments, right? But mm-hmm. here he's deciding he wants to have this private conversation. And he'd been speaking to them through an interpreter. So I imagine he suddenly starts speaking in uh, some uh, variant of Hebrew to them and surprises them yeah. with his, right? Because it says earlier he's speaking with an interpreter. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because yeah, he can hear them. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. So, Oh, my goodness, the tears. This is some serious PTSD to see. Yeah. Your abusers right in front of you. Hmm. Um all right, so different different matter here. I don't I don't think I want to camp out here at all. But Good. there could be something with Judah. So where is that? In verse in chapter forty four, mm-hmm. where Judah's the one saying, you know, keep me, not my brother. A few chapters earlier we read about Judah and Tamar, that really mm-hmm. strange story that I don't fully understand why it's there. But um but that might be something I would look into more. If I was going to be looking at the character of Judah here, I might try to gather some of the psychological backstory of, of this experience back in, was it 38? Mm-hmm. It's 38. And it's placed kind of next to the Potiphar, Potiphar's wife sequence at 39. Yeah. So it's in, they're intentionally, huh. they're intentional in parallel. And just to play sort of historical critic for a moment, I mean, well, first of all, we talked about Egypt already a couple times, and I mean, Egypt is this kind of constant temptation in in Israel's later history hmm. to try to rely on Egypt in their in their dealings with Assyrians and, yeah, and Babylonians yeah. coming their way, and so it's very natural to want to be able to. I mean, it's a cool story to be able to say, well, actually, you know. Uh, one of our guys used to be in charge of Egypt. You know uh-huh, what I mean? Uh-huh. But also beware, right? And and in the same way, Judah, I mean, the, the, when you have the, I mean, I don't want to say, I'm not trying to say this is all made up, but, I'm, but, but 
when you say why is it in there, you can at least say that what's the selection? Why don't we have more detail on the other characters? Yes. Yeah. And after the division of the kingdom, which is when this text would have come into its final form, at least as I understand these things, you have Judah, the southern mm-hmm. tribes, uh-huh. right? Okay. And you have the northern tribes centered in Ephraim, one of yep. the sons yep. of Joseph, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Joseph and Judah in many ways symbolize the northern and southern kingdoms. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's obvious, but on the off chance we have even yeah, one listener yeah, who was like, maybe not good. listening that's for good. that. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, I don't want to just say, oh, it's all made up and they're just making up stories about the, the Judah Joseph in order to reflect back. But I do want to say that however a text comes into shape is going to be influenced the selection of stories, right? Because right. I'm sure there's right. crazy stories about all 12 tribes. Why don't yeah, we know? Yeah. Uh, why do we know about those? Mm-hmm. Right. So at the very least, no matter even the most uh, literalistic take on these stories, can uh, hopefully be able to embrace the historical insight that these stories were handed on and orally for years and would have been formed in a way that. And uh, there is kind of a there's a possibility here of a kind of really. There's a redemption story of Judah here hmm. to be told. Sure. Yeah. 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 As as a failure, moral failure, both vis-a-vis Joseph in 37 and vis-a-vis Tamar mm-hmm. in 38. Yep. And, and 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 he recognizes it as 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 such. She is more righteous than I. Yeah. You know, he, it's this. But then his his own transformation and his willingness to sacrifice himself mm-hmm. for the sake of Benjamin. Yeah. Something he failed to do in the original. Um, and of course, that's another thing when we talk about, you know, who's the character our eyes are supposed to be on. Again, for Southern Kingdom Jewish readers, right? They would have been naturally wanting to watch what Judah does, yeah. right? And yeah. how he interacts with Joseph and how that's going to be crucial to their sense of where the center of gravity is in this story. It's not a given that Joseph is the center of gravity. It is, I think, for us often as readers, be modern readers who tend to have a kind of, we read things like they're a modern nineteenth post-19th century novel, like it's a Jane Austen novel yeah, or something, yeah. where, where there's one main character who we're following, mm-hmm. which makes chapter 38, like you said, I don't know what that's doing there. Hmm, that makes that make, but, have more sense. Judah is just as much the center of gravity for for the ancient readers of this text as Joseph. So I think the contrast is is intentional. Here's another Judah thing. Go ahead. Too. So the second time, before they go to, to Egypt the second time, Judah asks for Benjamin to come. Uh, oh, no, never mind. That's Reuben. That's Reuben. Reuben says you can put both my sons to death. I was thinking that was Judah. Yeah, well, that's why it's so striking when Judah speaks up here, right? No, but it does. No, no, because no, because he says no, right? And then, yep, forty-three. Yep, yep. There so it is. Reuben okay. makes the offer, mm-hmm. and and Jacob refuses. Yep. And then they wait another year, I think it is, or it's a whole season. It's a long time. Yeah, because they'd eaten all the grain. Yes, they, had they run out. They run out. Yeah. Then in forty-three. The famine was severe, and when they'd eaten the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, mm-hmm. The man Solomon, I love how they keep calling him the man, um, <laughs> uh, solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. 
But if you not send him down, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you'll show up. Yeah. And Israel said, why do you treat me this way? And that's when he makes the other, the offer. Send the boy with me. And- yeah. And we know it. We do know it's been a while because it's not just the grain that's been eaten, but verse 10, as it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Seeing it's important difference though theirs. He says that he himself will be a pledge for his safety. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can kill me. Yeah. Uh, and, and take away my inheritance. Mm-hmm. Whereas Reuben offered his own sons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, take my sons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's mm-hmm. what's so moving. So, no, you remembered correctly. And then you went and looked it up and found Reuben. And you're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> but no, no, it is Judah. It is Judah. Boy, you, you see how much uh, Israel is just resolved to i mean he's just he's just given up verse yeah. verse 14 as for me if i'm bereaved i am be- bereaved <laughs> yeah let's maybe end with that and take a, just a quick moment here and just jump back because you and i did an episode about about jacob slash israel mm-hmm. did one with um my brother dave did one with uh luigi and did one with uh sarah okay. so we had four that our listeners, if they're regular listeners, would have heard, and and just to remember that you know the, this is the this the heading of Genesis thirty seven on in the original is these are the generations of Jacob. So this is the mm. Jacob story, right? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. to take him as the central character for a moment, it's just very interesting to see how he is always the one acting. Not mm. passive in mm. his, in mm. the narratives we think of as the Jacob story, which are the story of. Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau, is the kind of proper framing, right? Yeah. He's always the one scheming, acting. Yeah. And so actually we can see a little bit of that schemer, though, with a much a kind of innocent vibe more in Joseph. Uh-huh. Right? But Joseph's doing some scheming here. He's, he's, he's scheming. Yeah. And, and, and Israel is not. Yes. He's he, playing he, he's, an, he's an agent, but he is, he is not trying to... Pull the wool over anyone's eyes And here. he is just... He's not a trickster in this story. I don't think so. And he's just, you know, I mean, if anything, he's half dead. Yeah, he's saying take take double the amount of silver. He's <laughs> going out of his way to make it clear that he's not trying to trick him. But his his language of just how passive he seems and how, mm-hmm. um, I mean, how he just, you know, almost falls dead when he hears that Joseph's alive. Like he's just become so incapacitated Yeah. after being... Always the one who's more capable than everybody, which is an interesting journey of, you know, Jacob mm-hmm. kind of uh, just a journey into age. I mean, some of it's just old age, uh, but some of it's just brokenness. Just the way he, you know, lost his favorite son. Yeah. And, and some of that brokenness, if we're going to go back to Joseph's statement, this was all... Uh, it was God who sent me here. If that's true, then that means that God uh, included in included in God's will there is God's foreknowledge of how this would break hmm. Jacob. Yeah, maybe who needed a little breaking still. <laughs> this oh. is the end of the wrestling. You know, the wrestling match continues. Yeah, yeah. Into his old age, yeah. where he's still. Because he's still doing, he's doing the same dang thing that was done to him and his brother, yep, yep. picking one, favoring. Yep. Um, and God seems to really be interested in breaking this pattern of favoritism. Hmm. 
as destructive mm -hmm. to the family mm -hmm. life. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Let's call it a, a well, I think it's a good time to take a quick break. and a little uh, pause. Yeah. Come back and uh, explore some sermon starters. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we are looking at Genesis 45, uh, this famous uh, story moment in the story of Joseph and his brothers, where he finally reveals himself to them. Uh, so let's explore some sermon starters. If you were preaching on the Joseph story in general or this, this chapter in particular, uh, where might you go? Uh, either in the final form of the sermon or just how would you start to transition to that sermon? You can pick it up at either end. <laughs> sure. So oftentimes when I am looking at a story, especially a narrative like this, I try to see who I identify with the most. And I don't know that there's anybody in this story that I identify with. Hmm. Um, I mean, not many of us have been uh, betrayed by our brothers and thrown into wells. And so, I mean, his whole story is so not, not, not our lives. So I, I might even play with that a little bit in terms of starting a sermon by saying he is so different from us. You know, how can we relate to this person who's had this, 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 this? And then perhaps transitioning to... Perhaps not the not the actions that took place, but the but the feelings that might be behind it. So, um, you know, you might not have been thrown into a well, but you know that feeling of utter despair. That some some connections like that. Yeah, the 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 difficulty of resonating with Joseph is perhaps at least a partial explanation for why, for so many years, the default setting in Christian preaching on Joseph was to take him as a type of Christ. Yeah. You know, I, re I remember one time having a chat with my folks about Joseph and, and some of his moral failings later in the story mm -hmm. when he enslaves the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. It kind of sets up the, the slavery of the Israelites as a payback, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and how, like, like, oh, yeah, no one could ever said that when we were growing up because Joseph's a type of Christ. Right, right. I remember right. them saying that like, that was just the default way to preach Joseph. Yeah. And, of course, then that does then raise these, I mean, whether you take him as a type of Christ or not, it does double back to the problem of preaching on the Gospels, which are wonderful, but also can be tricky because we tend to identify then with the disciples. Mm-hmm. Whereas Christ himself can be difficult sometimes to identify with, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I do wonder if that's even maybe in, even a help here. Um, just a random thought, because you say you don't, re you don't click with Joseph. Maybe you don't click with Judah or Benjamin. But you've got all these other brothers there who we know the names of, but who don't say anything. Yeah. And I wonder if that could be you're implicitly saying you identify with them. Hmm. You feel like you're kind of on the sidelines watching this play out kind of involved, but not necessarily the one moving and shaking and directing the action. Trying to figure out my place in this story. What should I be doing? Where should I be looking? <laughs> and I wonder if there's a, there's a place for that. I mean, even in this time, this, I mean, we're recording this in, in June, it's going to drop in August, but it's okay to be honest that we work ahead, especially in the summer. <laughs> um, but uh, I know 
you know, odds are, you know, you look on social media and you get the impression that everybody thinks that, uh, you know, what side one should take in the debates of the day are kind of obvious and everyone else has figured it out, but those are just the people who are commenting. Yeah. Actually, a lot of folks are kind of probably feeling a little stuck where they're like, well, actually my hmm. sympathies are this direction, but you know, my family or friends are over here and I, and I'm confused and I kind of don't, I don't know how to contribute. And, and, and we just kind of, uh, fall into being a kind of guilty bystander. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that hmm. resonates at all with you or with our listeners, but I wonder if there'd be a, a fresh way into this passage by actually kind of avoiding on purpose identification with Joseph Judah or any of the other big names mm-hmm. and kind of slip into Gad or <laughs> Asher <laughs> Naphtali. <laughs> oh, Naphtali. Do Naphtali. <laughs> and then you, you know, you could almost, I mean, you could almost preach the whole sermon, like from that angle, like as a kind of participant observer and it's, you know, you could almost go off in your sermon prep actually for a day and just explore what it would be like to be a kind of minor unnamed or named, but unsung character in the story hmm. and see what you might see. Sure. sure. And, and then just bring that into the sermon. So then you're, you're just, cause I think you said right at the beginning when we were started this episode, you just made a comment of like, Boy, you feel like you could just just tell the story. Right, you know what I mean? Right. And that's probably a pretty good sermon. Right. Like it's already ripe for it, it already has a homiletical yeah, twist and turn, it does. especially if you bring some of the early chapters in. And it's got so a whole I, narrative loop to it. Yeah, but I wonder if entering into it as sort of as a younger brother just kind of tagging along, along for the ride. Uh-huh. It, and then expressing your reactions to the different scenes yeah. as they unfold. Yeah. All the way to the return on the way back and the don't quarrel along, along the way. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think in some ways this might sound too easy to. No, no, no. I'm going to go with this. Uh, at this point in my life, I might t- take the angle of, of how do you treat your enemy and pair that with a wise as serp, uh, wise as serpents, innocent of, as doves, because mm-hmm. we cause we see that in the way that he is interacting with his brothers. Yeah, and uh, and I think what if you're going to preach that sermon, one of the key things that you have to point out is that this is the end of Joseph's story. He's not he's not having this conversation while he's down in the pit looking up at his oppressors. The, these are he's he's able. Yeah, God meant this for good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah catch them in a pit. <laughs> Right, right. Um, you can hope for that, but it's not not something he's seen. Hope that is hope that is seen is not hope, as Paul right. says in Romans eight. Right, and I mean, imagine when Potiphar is dragging him off to jail if he's making some comment about you know I oh I, I forgive you God is here blah blah blah. I mean that could get him in in more trouble. Like it's it's not safe to to have that kind of vulnerability. It's it's casting pearls before swine in a way, and. Uh, Oh, so I'm thinking of a story. I'll just go ahead and share what's in my, what's in my head here. I was reading a different story along with um, someone, a friend of mine, and it was that story where uh, Elisha or Elijah with the with the all the angels that are surrounding him. 
Yeah, both. Well, okay. No. Both. No, it's Elijah <laughs> going up and Elisha sees it. Yeah. Yeah. No, or a no, different I'm part of the story. A different part of the story yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where the whole town is under siege. Yeah. And, and he gets to see the angel armies. That right, are right, right. We yeah. could sing the song if we wanted yeah. to. Anyway, so, but, but that story ends with, um, uh, with his enemies being fed this great feast. Mm-hmm. So, so the king says, should we kill them all? And Elisha or Elijah, I think it's Elijah. Should we kill them all? And Elijah says, no, you should feed them. Mm. So we're reading that story together. And this, this woman just kind of bursts for, forth and says, well, what would it look like for me to feed so-and-so? Mm. And she mentioned someone who's been, uh, in my opinion, a- a- abusive towards her. Someone who is mm. not safe for her to, be, her to be around. And I said, well, th- well, that's that's not where you are in the story right now. You're mm. not laying down a feast for your enemy you're back here where you're saying god blind my enemy which is one of the earlier prayers so that's the story that kept coming to mind as i was reading this well it's a when are you in the story instead of asking who mm-hmm. so go ahead and identify yeah. with joseph oh, and say oh, that's when good. are yes. you yes are you still in the pit yep are you uh are you in potiphar's house oh, oh, are you oh, in the prison oh, yep yep yeah, I got it. Okay. So, so the often. The years, the famine years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So often, especially pastors, we're, we're guilty of trying to push our congregants yeah. to this part of the story. Uh, I mean, it's even here in the lectionary, right? They, yeah, yeah. They have, the lectionary has from Genesis, from the Joseph cycle, mm-hmm. chapter 37 and chapter 45. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah. oh, thanks a lot, right? I mean, you got to do what you got to do. The, but this, I mean, this is where we want, and we sure we want people to end up here, but we can be, we can be forceful in the way that we preach. Um, having people get to the end of the story before they're really there. Yeah. And to even acknowledge that, you know, maybe you're here, but it could be you're in the pit right now. You can have hope that this is coming, but you can, you're you free to lament here. Uh, a time to weep, a time to... Yeah. Rejoice. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, a, a time for everything and everything. And everything is beautiful in its time, mm-hmm. is said later in mm-hmm. that chapter of Ecclesiastes and... This statement that he says here, you know, it was not you that sent me here, but God, mm-hmm. which weirdly is more striking, I think, than the statement that is usually quoted, which is what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That I can grasp that someone would do something wicked mm-hmm. and God and his sovereignty could weave it in. Right, that that right. part I can get my head around. I mean, maybe not. 10, 20 years ago, but it's kind of like a pretty, a mature God concept kind of handles that. Sure. It's a lot more, sorry, that was insulting to anyone who has a hard time with that. I was like, well, if you were just mature, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, something yeah. like my mind kind of says like, well, that that's what the God, the concept of God entails, that the infinity of God mm-hmm. can, in, can embrace the, the finitude of you know, erroneous action. Redeem all things. But here it says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's a lot more, that's saying that the, the, the divine action here is an act of sending. This is a mission. He was sent here. You thought you were casting me away, but actually God was sending me forth with a purpose and a mission. Mm-hmm. Now that mission was not uh, available as an object of knowledge for Joseph until it started to come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. And it may not have even been an object of hope. It may yeah. have just been blind faith sure, for a long sure. time because of the dreams. 
Yep. At some point, yep. I, I have this belief that God favors me, although even that he may have doubted. We don't know. Yeah. So to say that they sent him here, and that statement is everything is beautiful in its time. Hmm. That is that is not a beautiful statement if it's said too soon or too late. Sure, sure. So that would be my little put pushback. I like that. I like word, that. But for those of us who perhaps grew up in a get him to Sunday morning resurrection too quick preaching, like you and I, who then go off to seminary and learn you can you can live in the tension. Holy you, Saturday, it's okay to lament, right? <laughs> and then you can get stuck there mm-hmm. as a kind of overcorrection, right? Where you're never offering the word of hope. Yeah, you know. And that's why I would like to say you, you can wait too long to say this. Because at some point, he's just tormenting them. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. it's beautiful to see that actually it's he himself is tormented in it. And and he paid attention to that. Hmm. You know, I mean, I, I'm i learning how to do that even in my own, like in my interactions with children, even today. Right? Where when I'm frustrated with one of my kids and communicating and there's that little voice inside of me that's recognizing like this is you're going this is this is not helping you're making it worse mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. take another approach you know and to let that in you know as he does to just kind of acknowledge his own torment in doing this and mm-hmm. to, to 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 you know recognize you know this was god was in all of this you know, yeah. there's yeah. like a, there's a good time. There's a matter of timing for that, you know. Boy, and the, the timing hasn't ended either. I mean, he just sends his brothers now hurry back. You know, he sends them back away again to come back with his father. And then we know they get delayed there. I mean, Joseph is waiting almost yeah. his whole life. He's He's got the dreams. You know, when is this going to come to fruition? Will it come to fruition? Uh, he's he's waiting in the well. He's he's waiting to be, you know, released from slavery. Then he's waiting in prison. Then he's waiting for the, the good years to come, waiting for the famine to come. I mean, there's there's so much anticipation. Uh-huh. Um, and in some ways, I mean, that's just that's just life. But uh, but I, I think there there could be something said about about patience here as well. Uh, you don't, you don't have to like it. You don't have to be thankful for it. But what does it look like to be to be patient, hopeful in affliction? Oh yeah, what is that line in Romans? It's uh, patient in affliction, joyful in hope, faithful in prayer. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Persistent in prayer or something. Romans like that. twelve twelve. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do like your wise as serpent innocent as doves line earlier. Hmm. I feel like that. So I just um, recorded an episode with Ken uh, Shank to, at the beginning of the Joseph story. And we, we talked about how he comes off as a little innocent, even a little, doesn't really have a, like an EQ. Oh, much of an EQ yeah, yeah, yet. yeah. So innocent as doves, but no wisdom. <laughs> right. And then he, hmm. life you know, he went to the school of hard knocks. I think Ken said so yeah. that's the previous week's yeah. episode yeah. for our listeners. But that I think there is a—he's maybe a little bit of an embodiment of that. But he doesn't lose his innocence in the process. Even this moment is that. I could even see that being a mantra, a, a, a line that you could, you could, we, you could we just bet. tell the story yes. and just yes. keep saying that yeah. quote. Now, I think we see the temptation of him dropping some of that innocence when his brothers are there. You know, he's yeah. setting up these little trials and eventually he just yeah. 
you know, he's, he's weeping and it's clearly a, a bringing together, bringing together of those elements. But, but yeah, sending them back, testing, you know, what's going to happen with my younger brother. Uh, I mean, that was thoughtful and required planning and patience and craftiness. And yeah, sagacity and even a little sinisterism, a little, oh, a little, yeah. Oh, yeah. A little hiding, hiding cups yeah. in their grain. Little Jacob, <laughs> little Jacob style tricksterism. Yeah. Yeah. That you just don't see any of when we see him at the beginning. Right. And not to just lift it up as be just like Joseph, but more a kind of recognition that these are the two sides of the Christian life hmm. is the journey of a life of innocence, a life of holiness, a, lo- a life lived above reproach. Right. And a life of wisdom, a life of prudence, a life of awareness of how the world works and how to, uh, how to, um, serve the good in the midst of a lot of evil in the world. Yeah. I, I think if I were preaching this sermon, I would use that as a mantra, the, the wise as serpents, innocent as doves. But there is something about that that I do not like, and it's a bit of a tangent. But, but why, why serpents? I mean, like, that's the crafty devil in Genesis. And, and I mean, crafty, okay, wise, you could, mm-hmm. but, um, and not the devil. But. Oh yeah, okay, thanks. But 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 are, <laughs> but are serpents? Say that it's the devil. It's are just... serpents wise? Yeah. Are they are they known for their wisdom? Yeah, I mean, I, I took it as symbolic, um, and yeah, the wise is the the serpent was the most crafty of all. You know, dolphins are bright. Why not wise as dolphins, innocent as? <laughs> I didn't take it to be a biological <laughs> statement. <laughs> or chimpanzees. Well, I mean. Yeah, again, how does a. I'm trying to think what are the symbols of wisdom? So the symbol of innocence in that image is a dove. Because you can sure. also say, why is a dove innocent? That's also arbitrary. Sure. Yeah. So some of these are cultural symbolism. And it's followed right there as I send you a sheep amid wolves. Uh, <laughs> that's the next line in, in Matthew 10 that we're quoting from. <laughs> and there's a little bit of there that here, you know. Uh, he's a sheep among wolves, mm-hmm. and God desires these wolves to become cheap and it may require this cheap (laughs) joseph to uh have some qualities of the wolf in order to engage Hmm. um yeah i don't i mean there's a cultural question i'm sure but we think of what are the symbols of wisdom and it would be an owl right common one and a fox in a kind of sure yeah because it is, it is the kind of the, the the wisdom line even in Matthew ten is is a is is sagacity or craftiness or prudence. It's not just kind of knowledge wisdom, but how to you know how, how the world works. That kind of wisdom, you know. And uh, dragons in the east because they're old. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that is a tangent, but it's a fun one. <laughs> and, and I mean. I assume it's because they're sneaky, you know. <laughs> you don't see a snake coming, right? Yeah, yeah. You could almost hit highlights of his story and end each little one, each little line with "Why is the serpents innocent as doves?" Yeah, you know. So he blah blah blah. You say your line, and then he just just a, a progression of his mm-hmm. story, something really really short that you could do in three minutes, just almost a line from each part in of the his Potiphar life. story. Yeah, it's perfect. Right, right. You could almost just read every chapter. Or an excerpt or, or internalize so you can hit the beat. Because mm-hmm. both are at play in the Potiphar story. 
if, and if, then in the in the in the, in the jail again, yeah, you know, he has the 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 innocence to not, you know, uh, you know, fight his way out, but blesses his, you know, works. With, but then, uh, you know, when he offers the, and he, you know, he could have kept the dream, the interpretation of the dreams to himself, but mm-hmm. is willing to give mm-hmm. it. But then says, "Hey, remember me, yeah. right?" He doesn't. If I were preaching in a context that used like a big screen, mm-hmm. um, I would I would make a timeline of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if for no other reason than you can just see the fullness of the you know holy cow yeah. this guy is, has been through a lot. So I, I like that visual, but then to keep coming back coming back to that that fate that phrase. Well, of course, I want to make it a chart <laughs> where I think what's the moment, the innocent moment, and the the wise moment sure. in each chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um. And kind of collect them up because you see it. And when he goes to visit yeah. with the Pharaoh yeah. and he says, you know what you should do? You should put someone uh, in charge uh, to collect up all the grain for seven mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is he it- doesn't say it's himself, but <laughs> right. he's kind of like, you know, you really should do that. I don't know who you'll get. but <laughs> Line from the story, you know, wise as serpent. Line yeah. from the story, innocent as yeah. doves and, and, and just. Yeah. And you could overlay the little chart. On onto the yes, we can use a chart. No, you can overlay <laughs> what you, what you learn from your own chart onto the timeline, sure. so you have each kind of side. That's a classic like thing that you do, and then you get near to the, like Sunday, and you're like, yeah, they don't need all this. Yes, this this yes, was just for me. Yes, <laughs> this yes. was just to give me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's the door number three. Yep, yep. Or even this is uh, yeah, it is door number three. I was thinking more. Yeah, we've talked about that before. I was thinking more the iceberg kind of principle. You're only going to see the top, but yeah. doing something like that gives you a sense of mastery yes. over the material, so that you can speak with confidence. In yep. a briefer way. And the hardest part then is not using that chart after you put so <laughs> yeah, much you time put it into together. it. No, well, could I just show them? I'll just, just a real quick flash. <laughs> well, but that's the, I mean, that's, that's what good judgment in, in sermon prep's all about. It's what to cut, yeah. not what to put in. It's what to take out. Cause you know, if, if you're really hugging the text as we try to do on the, on this show, uh, if you're really hugging the text, um, and really listening, listening to God, listening to your people, Paying attention to your own heart. If you're doing all those things, most of what you come up with is probably going to be worth saying. The question is, everything's beautiful and it's time. So yeah. what do I need to leave out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And usually once you do that, it's all there. You know, it's the Michelangelo right. thing. Like, oh, David's already in there. I just got to cut yeah, away all the yeah. stuff that's not David. Right. And there's, there he is. Um, so I think I think that's, that's a, maybe a nice way to end with just a little mm-hmm. encouragement to, you know, in your own study. Those of us who are listening, if you're if you do do sermon prep and teaching prep, that mostly just spend a lot of time loving the text, and then always have enough time to set aside to cut everything out because yes. usually whatever's left is probably pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's why if you have a hook for me, if you have a kind of a focus theme or thought or thesis of some kind, or even just a a mantra like the wise of serving and dove, then you have your principle of selectivity, and then you know what to cut. It's kind of like cut everything that yeah. doesn't fit that and go and then run with it. Now, now you've got your sermon. So, something else that I'll do if, if I have a manuscript that I'm preaching from and I'm needing to cut, I might even take all the different paragraphs and, and sum up each paragraph in a sentence and then read through that, those sentences ooh, and ooh. see which one doesn't, doesn't quite fit. Okay. Where's the bunny trail here? Oh my gosh. That's a really good exercise. Why? Thank you. Be so hard for me to not just be like, <laughs> Oh, that's it. That's just the sentence. Why <laughs> say more? <laughs> Ooh, that's really good. That's a really good exercise. 
and, and, and when I sum up the paragraph, I try to make it as simple as possible, like that a, that a five-year-old could understand, really, yeah. just so I'm getting to the, the core. You know, God wants us to be nice. You know, it could be mm-hmm. as basic as that. And mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> mean as a snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice as a dog. Right. Sorry. <laughs> well, that was a weird place to end. Sorry. <laughs> that works. Mur, mur. All right. Well, thanks so much, Amanda, for taking time to to study the text with us and share your thoughts. And thanks to all our listeners, as always. Thanks to Todd and Eric for the great production work. Can't imagine doing this without you. Thanks to Tom uh, Adamson for supplying the uh, theme music. And uh, yeah, so thanks for all those who support the show by listening, by sharing it out on social media, for donating uh, on the uh on the little clickable there if you get a chance. Um, thanks so much to all of you, and we'll say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.